Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. I am here with Nick from Pandemonium Reviews. What's going on, man? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. You know, it's a little chilly where I'm at. But other than that, things are fine. Been busy. I've uh, been doing a lot of stuff with work and with my YouTube channel. And Yeah, um, you most certainly yeah. have been doing a lot of stuff with your <laughs> with your YouTube channel. You have got a lot of crazy videos on here. Um, and and you don't you don't have a lack of thoroughness in your content. Like you, you really go in <laughs> deep on these. Like, uh, you know, your reviews have been, you know, mini documentaries that I've absolutely loved to watch. I'm happy to hear it. Yeah. Glad you're enjoying them. Uh, they, they certainly didn't start out that way. They, you know, they were a little short, less than 10 minute reviews at the beginning. And then as I put more into the research, gradually, as the series went on, it progressed into videos that are just way too long now. Not quite action button long, but they're uh, they're getting there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I always feel like a video needs to be as long as it needs to be. And it exactly. drives me absolutely crazy when people just ramble for an extra five minutes to hit that 10 minute, 30 second mark. But like, <laughs> right. it also kind of gets me when people cut their content down because they feel like, oh, no one's going to sit there this long. And uh, I, you know, personal opinion, but I strongly disagree. I think if the content is interesting. Um, you know, and it's just, it's as long as it needs to be. And I, I felt like, um, I haven't watched every single one of your, uh, reviews and documentaries, but the ones I have, I felt like they were the exact length they should have been, especially like the, uh, NBA jam one. Cause that, um, that really covered like everything. <laughs> that one. Yeah. I, um, I remember when making the corpse killer review before it, I had a text box at the end that said, don't worry, the NBA jam video won't be this long. And uh, yeah, and then it turned out to be even longer. <laughs> yeah, hour and nineteen minutes versus uh, versus the hour and fifty minutes here. But yeah, I mean, yep. you know, it, it was awesome, and it was funny too because a lot of times, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to sound like a dick, but it is what it is. But a lot of times, uh, people who do documentaries and stuff get the facts right, but they don't present them the same way that they sh- should be, or at least I feel they should be, like. And when I was watching yours, a lot of the stuff, um, you know, was very obviously came from all of the interviews over the years and stuff like that. And the NBA Jam book, of course, but you delivered it in the same way. You didn't miss the, you know, the point. I guess I guess the best way to say it is some people say the words, but but miss the point in them or something. And uh, I, when I was watching that, I was just like, wow, this like this does the book justice. So like people who watch your, uh, watch your documentary would probably want to go read the book and people who already read the book would appreciate how, um, you know, how you've kind of told the story in, in with the same justice that they did. And did you talk to, to Blake Harris at all before doing that? Was that Blake Harris's book? No, it no, was, no, uh, Ray, Ray and Ollie. Yes. Um, I, I apologize. I apologize. That's all right. Ray. Yeah. Uh, but no, I spoke with him. He was the first guy I contacted right away. And um, I, I started reading the book and then I figured I, I ought to talk to this guy. 
because hmm. he clearly knows a little bit about NBA Jam. Yeah. <laughs> he wrote a whole dang book about it, and he interviewed like more than sixty people, but you know, from various uh, NBA Jam avenues. Of course, he spoke with the people, the core team, some of the people who made the arcade original, and then people who did the ports. Some NBA players he even spoke with. Um, just kind of every uh, branch of that franchise, Rayon reached out to at least someone from that branch, right? Um, he went super in-depth. So he was a really good guy to talk to about its like cultural impact and about what went into its development, um, sort of the main players behind getting the NBA license uh, for, you know, for Midway to use it. Um, but yeah, he was a really good guy to talk to. He knew his stuff for sure. And his book is, it was pretty good. I, I did wind up reading the whole thing and it was pretty good. So I, I hardly ever read books because I'm mainly a video game guy, but, um, but his was one of the few that I, I finished. So it was good stuff. I gotta admit, I, I listened to, I listened to it on audible cause I just, I don't have any time to sit and read anymore. I actually loved to read right. it. I, I've been following a series of books since I was a little kid. Not Harry Potter, like military adventure novels. Perfect for the awkward freaking <laughs> nerd that I would not be reading Harry Potter as a little kid. Exactly. And stuff like that. But like, <laughs> you know, uh, it's just, uh, I wish I had more time to do it, but at least I could just have that thing going in the background while I'm lag testing something or whatever else, you know. And uh, I did enjoy it. Uh, was he receptive to you doing a documentary about it? Like, did he think it was cool? Or was he like, no, I'm, I'm trying to get a movie made about this or something? Or... <laughs> I, I think uh, I think he was cool with it. Um, I, I told him that it's kind of a mini documentary series. And, and I know that when I interviewed him, I didn't know that the video was going to be nearly two hours long. And uh, uh, when when I sent it to him, I sent him like a preview before it went public. He was like, holy crap, dude, you made a whole damn documentary about this. <laughs> um, I don't th- <laughs> I don't think he was bothered by it. Uh, at least I hope not. But he seemed to like it. Uh, he, he definitely told me that he, he appreciated the video and he thought it was well put together which is great and i I think that you know it you know if he makes the the nba jam documentary it'll probably look different since a very large chunk of uh of the video that i did mainly focuses on the fifth gen ports Mm -hmm. like i obviously cover the origin story of the arcade game at the beginning but then once you start getting about 40 minutes or so into the video then it's pretty much fifth gen port development from that point on until the end of the vid yeah Um, i thought that was a really great uh, I think that was really fitting for the type of stuff you do, but I thought it was also really great for the audience that would be watching Retro RGB, which is why I promoted it so heavily, because it's like... I appreciate that, You get yeah. the great story, but then it's like, okay, so we're in the middle of this story, but let's just pause for a minute and nerd the fuck out about all the different ports and, you know, compare them side by side, and I was like, this is exactly what people like me <laughs> want to see when we're watching a documentary, so that was cool as hell. I, thanks, I, thanks. I appreciate I, it. I guess yeah. that was just a combination of you know the documentary skills as well as um, the reviews and and game footage that you've taken over the years for your other channel or for the rest of the videos in your channel, right? Yeah, it was all just a build up of you know skills and equipment that I developed and gathered over the years uh, since starting the series. Like the first video I did was the Virtua Fighter review, since that was the first you know game released for the console. And that was only like seven minutes long. I didn't even go, I didn't go very in depth with it at all. I covered the basics, but I didn't interview anybody or, you know, go super hardcore into comparing it to the arcade board or anything like that. Whereas now if I were to go back and like redo it, it probably wind up being uh, a way too long video that goes into way too much detail. (laughs) 
Um, how do you take the captures for your comparisons? Do you use emulation? Do you use original hardware? Right. I try to use original hardware as much as possible, especially for Saturn games. Um, I'm Since it's a Saturn series, I want that to be as authentic as possible. Truly authentic would be a really terrible, uh, you know, uh, composite signal that looks fuzzy and, and uh, you know, static to hell. But uh, but no, so I, I have an original Saturn. And um, for the NBA Jam video, I did use a, an original PlayStation as well. Um, that was all. Both of those were captured with real hardware. So um with the Saturn, I have a SCART cable uh, plugged into a uh, BNC RGB uh, connector into my PVM. The PVM, I kind of, you know, was fortunate. And long story short, it basically fell out of my cereal box. I didn't have to take out a bank loan to buy it, which is awesome. great. And it, it works good. It's your standard 14-inch uh, Sony Trinitron looking PVM. It's the one you see all over the place. So anyway, a SCART to BNC RGB into that, and then the out signal is into another RGB BNC SCART cable that goes into an OSSC Classic, um, which is then fed into uh, an Avermedia Live 4K+. Plus. I am looking to upgrade the capture card, uh, mainly because the Avermedia card does not let me do anything higher than 2x with the OSSC. Uh, since it's still RGB, it still looks good and it still looks fine, but uh, it, it can do better, uh, and I intend to do better <laughs> so once i get a good capture card going i'm looking at maybe getting what uh everyone's recommending i get the flint um the i forget the exact name of it a flint one huh yeah yeah uh there's a couple of guys uh who i spoke with who've um i, I don't know where where it is I, I was looking to getting an elgato originally just mm -hmm. like the the ones that everybody else has but i've heard so many like yeah. people having problems with it lately and um, there are certain models that work fine, but I just think it's easier to stay away. Um, yeah, the setup that you just described is, is totally awesome for the stuff that you do. You, of course, could then just integer scale the video and post so you could still get the sharp mm -hmm. scaling of it. Um, what do you use to integer scale? Do you pre pre do it in virtual dub or do you have a plug in in your editing software? No, I just kind of dump it all into Adobe Premiere and let it rip. Uh, I oh. might like. Yeah, I, I might like mess with uh, if the blacks are off, I might mess with the contrast and do some color correction here and there, but not more than what is necessary, not enough to make it look like it's no longer the authentic video that it would have looked like. Um, you know, I, I'm not, not going to put any crazy um, filters. Yeah, I try not to ever, uh, when I can, pre-render the footage in virtual dub because it just takes forever. But sometimes mm -hmm. that's the only option for a million reasons. I used to use a plugin that My Life in Gaming suggested called GPU Resize, and it didn't really work at first, and then it worked flawlessly for like a year, and then it's never worked since. So it's just every time Premiere has an update, I always just hold my breath like, oh, I don't even want to do it. Even if there's a new <laughs> it's like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> yeah, but that was super easy because no, then you not. just select integer scale and then you just take out a calculator and do it however you want. But uh, 8-Bit Duke recommended Autochroma Visual, and that's Chroma mm -hmm. with a K. And supposedly that does support different scaling. And that would be a pretty, you know, that's one of those things that like, it's not going to make your video any better. But for your own OCD, like that actually is something where you can get exactly the same look as if you were using if you were outputting the um, ossc in 1080p and it's got some advantages too because you're capturing in a smaller file size so you don't have to you know you don't mm -hmm. have to have a huge hard drive full of stuff but yeah that's that's definitely one that uh something that i would always recommend if possible just because it's that little extra thing um the only negative side of that is then compression starts to matter a lot right so that's yeah. when things like you know 
Um, like, and I've made so many mistakes over the years, even because like the software I used was totally fine and everything was working great. And then all of a sudden a windows update happened and now it's being compressed as I record and I didn't know, but basically, um, I try to keep everything in fully uncompressed color. And the only way I know how to do that is, um, the custom modes of the RetroTink 5X, which is obviously super easy or any of the stuff from yeah. the open source scan converter into a data path vision. Because that's one of the only cards I've seen that does not compress the colors at all up to definitely up to 1080p, but I think up to 1440p as well. And there's an external one, the Epifan DVI to USB 3.0. And you got to be careful because there's others that look exactly like it that are different. And those could do up to 720p, but they are not really compatible with the open source scan converter at all. So, yeah, you're kind of stuck with the internal, but... Um, I've tested the Avermedia, Avermedia, whatever, however you say it, and it um, it's very good, but it does do some compression on the on the vertical axis, not the horizontal. I might be getting that reversed. So, like they advertise it as four 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 uncompressed color, and it's only on only on one, not on both. So you can kind of see. I'm gonna have a whole series released soon on how to test your capture card, how to get this uncompressed stuff. And okay. I'm definitely yeah. going to beat it down everybody's throats that you don't need <laughs> to do any of this at all, period. Like, it's just one of those things where if you're doing a deep analysis of a game or a scaler, yeah, you kind of have to. Or if right. you're just yeah. crazy and you want to have that extra 1% your <laughs> that nobody on the planet other than me and seven other people would notice, like, it's just right. one, of those, yeah. one of those things. But I'm always curious how what people's capture chain and processing are, especially people who make it look as good as, as you did. And I'm kind of surprised oh, to hear that you just used Premiere's built-in scaling because I haven't had as good yep. results as you did when um, when I did that. A lot of the tweaks are manually done. And again, I try not to do more than what is necessary, more than, you know, what would make it no longer look like however it's supposed to look. Mm. Um, and uh, the reason why I've, uh, I, I'm still using this capture card because it's what I had before I got an OSSC. Originally, I was using a, a before the OSSC, the upscaler I had was just the Tink 2X uh, mm. and I, with an S-Video. Um, and then uh, some, it was like last year was when I upgraded to an OSSC. And then before the Tink 2X, at the very beginning of the series, I was using a Dazzle Bridge. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's what, whatever was, you got to do to get started is totally fine. what I had you know? back then. And I was yeah. like, oh, man, there's going to be some people that won't like this. But <laughs> over time, I eventually upgraded and the video now looks a heck of a lot better. So, yeah, you know, it's always a matter of preference uh, for how you mm-hmm. want to how deep you want to go and how you want to present the image. And the only the only very, very strong opinion I have about any of that stuff is try to put a little effort into getting the aspect ratio right. So don't yeah. stretch it to 16 <laughs> by 9. If you are trying to do a documentary historian style, don't have it like 8 by 7, 4 by 3, 69, 8 by 7. Like, just keep it the same. Um, keep it 4 by 3. Keep it uniform. Yeah, keep it sort of <laughs> like you would have, close enough to what you would have seen on a CRT and keep it consistent. Yep. Um, but other than that, I mean, everybody has their own style. I prefer to capture an RGB just because that's not how most people saw it back in the day. But it kind of, you know, it's it's you're watching it on a flat panel, most likely whether you like it or not anyway. So mm-hmm. present it that mm-hmm. way. And when I want composite footage, I always take a video of a CRT playing composite on it. So it still looks really good on a flat panel. But 
That's just nice. my my preference, and who knows? I might change my mind before this interview's over. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I like RGB just because obviously the colors look better. Everything winds up looking better. It looks a step above, you know, how it would if you just had S video or just regular old composite. But, um, you know, uh, what surprised me about the Saturn is the S video capabilities of it are actually pretty good compared to how S video looks on, say, like the Genesis or some of the other consoles from the '90s and earlier on. Um, a buddy of mine has a CRT projector in his basement. It's just this big hulking giant, very difficult to move at all beast of a thing. He said it took him like days to set it up and get everything lined up. (laughs) But, um, S video on that looked like crisp. It was like, like you you wouldn't have thought it was S video, uh, which was very surprising. And I'm not trying to be one of those people who says S video is king because that's false. But no, 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 no. I, I know where you're coming. <laughs> but from. But it, it was good. It's funny so. you mentioned Genesis though, because most people who do the Genesis and Master System S video mods do it wrong. And these yeah. days, when you have RGB to S video converters that are reasonably priced, I, I just would say there's no reason to just use RGB, go through S video, or just use composite and enjoy it as is or, or something. Mm-hmm. But but, as long yeah. as you're having fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so what got you into to starting any of this stuff? Because like your first, some of your first videos was like a speed run, um, and like a <laughs> you know how to how to make self bootable Dreamcast games, which is handy by the way. It's very handy. I think I even stumbled across that video, video is so outdated. <laughs> Still, but like you know, you kind of started out in this, and then all of a sudden, like your videos evolved into something much much. I don't, I don't want to say better because I don't want to insult the first things that you did, but like you can better, say, you they're can better. Say. <laughs> <laughs> you can say they're better. They, yeah, they, they're definitely a step above what I was doing way back then. But um, so I, I very rarely dabbled in like doing video game reviews on YouTube just over the past like decade. Mm-hmm. I would occasionally get into spurts where I'd make a few of them and then stop for like a couple of years. So um, it was senior year of high school was actually kind of when I started getting into that. And most of those videos, most of the reviews that I did way back then, in fact, I think all of them now might be unlisted just because the the uh, um, the quality of them were that of the quality of videos that I made in high school. <laughs> yeah. they, were, uh, they were OK, but they weren't great. <laughs> And and my uh, my hair looked a hell of a lot different back then too. It was substantially longer than it is now. <laughs> um, but uh, I can send you a few unlisted links of those if you're curious. <laughs> I would just for the hell of it, just to see. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. So um, and I, I most of those were Saturn reviews. Um, like I did one of Virtua Racing, which was funny. It was just like a five minute crappy Virtua Racing review. Um, and then a Virtua Cop, which I'm uh, working on the actual Virtua Cop review now. Um, and a few other, you know, just random Saturn games that I liked and wanted to make five-minute YouTube videos about. Mm. Um, so uh, throughout college, I think I made a couple more. I think I made like a Pepsi Man review that I might still have as, you know, publicly listed on the channel. And there, there was a couple other Saturn reviews that I did throughout college um, that might still be on there. I'd have to look. Um I went to college to study film and broadcast, but later uh, changed it to just broadcast journalism. That wound up being my major. And um, graduating, um, uh, we moved back to Fargo, and I got a job at a local news station in town. And um, 
wanted to uh, still, you know, continue to make YouTube videos. So that way I would associate video editing, which is a hobby that I've had for a long time as something that isn't only work related. (laughs) Mm. I wanted a hobby basically. And the idea was originally for me to, uh, I was originally going to review every N64 game in release date order because the library is small and I thought that might get more views. But um, looking into it after starting to do the research on that, I decided that I'd prefer to do the console that I like best, which is the Saturn. That's always been my favorite console since I started getting into getting into retro gaming. And thought it would be cool to review them in release date order to focus kind of on the weird and interesting tale of the Saturn's North American run, mm. which is famed for being a commercial failure, even though the console itself and the games are good. And the games now are like super sought after and worth hundreds of dollars, depending on which one you're trying to get. Um, like, why do we have this console where there are many games that you have to spend hundreds of dollars to get a single copy of. Yet we talk about how terrible its commercial run was in North America. What happened? You know, so this is kind of exploring that going down the timeline. And uh, um, eventually the series evolved from just being reviews about the games in release date order to uh, reviews that dig into the weeds of how they were made the first interview I did was for Genwar. Um, that at that time, the my release date order was wrong. Um, I have a spreadsheet that I'll send to you here <laughs> uh, in Discord. Uh, it, it, this spreadsheet is linked in the description of every video in the series. It is public; you can anyone can view it, and that just lists all the uh, games in order with the release dates in the second column and the third column, a very disorganized box that where I pasted all the sources <laughs> for where I found the dates. I originally used GameFAQs to get the release dates. And then I quickly found out that GameFAQs release dates are often wrong, especially for the Saturn. Um, the Saturn release dates in North America were horribly documented. Um, if you look at the Japan release dates, those are super well documented. They have them down to the day and they've had them down to the day for a very long time. Uh, they documented that very, very well, uh, in North America, not so much. Uh, it's very scattered. Uh, some well, it's games also important to realize that back easy, then but... too, like for giant releases, like Mortal Kombat, NBA, right. Jam, there was like, oh yeah, Mortal Monday, right? Like Exactly. For they made them that... into events for some of them. Yeah, but for games that weren't such top tier, even if they were awesome games that ended up doing very well, it was just, okay, well, we'll start shipping them on August 1st and however long it takes the truck to get to your store is the release date for that game. So it's <laughs> pretty much you know, it's I imagine it's very easy to get release dates wrong if you think about it that way cuz depending on when the you know California probably got it 2 weeks before, you know, Vermont or something just cuz of how long it would take the trucks to make their stops across the country or something. So that's how it was. Yeah, for some of these the release dates are like well these stores started getting it on the 14th of November. But some stores got it on the 18th of November. So do I go by the 14th or the 18th? And typically when I run into that uh, discrepancy, I just go by whichever one's the earliest date. Mm. But then have that, you know, cliff note in the source box. Like, hey, by the way, some of these stores got it later. Like there's a hockey game that came out in Canada first. They mm. got it before the States. Makes sense. I forget which one, but exactly. They, <laughs> they, they tend to like hockey quite a lot up there. <laughs> Um, but during the, um, I was right around when I finished the Pebble Beach episode, there was a person who on the internet goes by Pimpo, um, 
and it's like P-I-M-P-E-A-U-X, like a French spelling of Pimpo. And uh, she helped find a crap ton of sources on like the Internet Archive and eventually found uh, the Usenet boards. Uh, the Usenet boards were really what cracked the release date search wide open, because at that time I'd only had games narrowed down to the month, and even some of those months were wrong. I found you know plenty of sources through like Sega Retro and magazines and other old websites, but um, the Usenet boards had stores that would post, we just got this game, or hey, here's a list of games that we got on this day, or we're getting this game on this specific day, if you go through and search and, you know, make your index finger sore by scrolling through all of them. And um, eventually, just through hours and hours and hours and hours of searching um, over the span of a year, Pimpo and I were able to get the spreadsheet down to the day for every game, which is great. (laughs) That's insane. um, I love that. I love that attention to detail. (laughs) So we we have the release date order. Uh, Half of that spreadsheet is Pimpo's responsibility. So she does get a ton of credit for that. Um, and, uh, over the past, like, couple of years, Sega Retro and Satakore, um, have started to get some of those release dates down to uh, a more accurate, uh, day. Whereas, you know, when the spreadsheet was being made, they, ne- they weren't necessarily that, uh, uh, that accurate or that precise. Um, I'm not sure if some of them have been using sources that I've found. I know that a few of them haven't. I know Sega Retro has found other old websites that they're using, but the dates that they're getting are the same as mine, which is like, all right, great. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so if you uh, find like a, like so, a, a fun activity that Pimpo and I did once was uh, there was a video clip of a guy going through like a Best Buy in 1996 or whatever, and it scrolled by the Saturn shelf. And we were able to, by seeing which games were on the shelf, figure out what span of time that video had to have been made. <laughs> That's <laughs> because awesome. only these games were out. <laughs> that is so funny. I love crazy shit like that. <laughs> oh yeah, it's great. That's great. So so that's how that came to be. Um, and then I started doing more interviews once I... Um, uh, Gen War was the first game that I had an interview for. I interviewed Robert Leyland, and he told me about how the big thing with that is they were supposed to make a launch game. Genware was supposed to be a launch game for the Saturn in the U.S., but um, that was when the launch date for the console was September 2nd, 1995. Mm. Then on May 10th, Robert Leyland and his team got a notice from Sega that they were going to launch the console early, a surprise release the day after at E3, and none of them knew about it. None of them were told anything about it. They were like, we were supposed to be a launch game. What, what the heck? And um, that was kind of the nice big nugget I got from that interview. And since then, I'm like, oh, man, I bet all these games have a crazy story like that. So, um, you know, sure enough, over time, I'd find that Virtua Racing, they weren't given the source code to make Virtua Racing port on the Saturn. So Time Warner had to reverse engineer it just by eyeballing the arcade machine in their office. Um, lots of crazy stuff like that's kind of come out of the woodwork from talking to uh, uh, talking to these devs about it. And that's been something that's really... I think that was the big thing that I felt uh, made the series shine uh, was just getting to talk to these people and uh, hear all these crazy stories that could be lost to time if no one else chats with them about it. So absolutely. It's been fun. So what, what drew you to the Saturn? Like how did you attach yourself onto that one as a retro gaming console? Cause everybody always has a unique story. Yeah. So I, I really got into retro gaming in like middle school. Um, 
uh, I actually grew up as a PlayStation boy, sacrilege, mm. right? <laughs> but uh, uh, it was around 2008 or nine when I really got into it. And I mainly was like emulating Super Nintendo games on the computer and stuff like that. Um, eventually, I would start getting consoles and I found out about the Dreamcast through uh, Racket Boy mm. and um, uh, other various lists of, hey, you should get these Dreamcast games. They're really fun. And I was like, cool. So I burnt illegal copies of all of them and played a bunch of Dreamcast games. Uh, and then eventually, you know, I had heard about the Saturn, but I was like, eh, it's, it's whatever. It's just some console that's not the Dreamcast. And then I looked <laughs> into it a little more. And then I really got like drawn to its graphical style. Because what the Saturn does really well is the uh, marriage of two-dimensional and three-dimensional graphics in the same game. Mm. And it makes it look super-duper good. Um, like, Grandia is a great example of what that looks like. If you look at the first map in Grandia with people walking around it, you got the sprite-based people, sprites scaling in and out as the camera's moving around this 3D map that, at the touch of a button, can be zoomed out into a top-down, like, sprite-layered like view of the map. Like, the way it does everything is really, really, really cool-looking. And uh, as someone who really liked sprite-based games, and 5th Gen in particular, that seemed like the perfect retro console. Because it had all these great games that um, that look really, really, like, extremely well-polished two-dimensional games, like Street Fighter Zero Three, 3 looks flipping amazing on it. Darius Gaiden looks really good on it. And then you have all these crazy, chunky 3D games like Bulk Slash and... <laughs> Just these like ridiculous looking quads, a lot of crazy looking guns. And uh, I thought, okay, well, I want to get one of these now. And so throughout high school, that was when I got a Saturn and mod chipped it and just spent several weekends of my youth burning game after game and just tearing through as much as I could. Uh, that's kind of how I got to got to know it. <laughs> that's cool. And that's so. a great time period because you probably picked one up for 50 bucks. You probably get a reel of Tayo Yudin CDs for, you know, mm-hmm. $30 for 100 And, you know, you could still get a, a Plex Tour burner, which now I was just told some of the newer ones are just as good. But back then you could still have gotten one of the Plex Tour burners for fairly cheap. So that that's definitely a good time to dip your toes into all that because you could do it on a budget and really absorb it all. And the Saturn disk drives weren't dying left and right at that time either. So yeah, and you can get a mod chip back then easily too. Mm-hmm. I, I got it off racket point. Yeah, yeah. I think that was before pseudo Saturn Kai was released, if I remember correctly. So that way it you, was. Yeah, you couldn't boot um, the other way, but because uh, I think that's just about when I started getting back into it. Because I think retro RGBs. I think it's 2011 was when I kind of started. And that was like right at the mm-hmm. cusp when all the prices started to rise a little bit. And I definitely yeah. needed a mod chip. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't the action replay trick then yet. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I remember buying some official Saturn games at the time that I no longer have. Cause I sold them. There were a lot of regrets. Like, um, as for example, I had the street fighter two collection, the North American uh, one where it's had like multiple versions of the game in a two disc box set. And uh, I was like, oh, sweet, this is great. I had it for $30. That's what, and it was in great condition. And then I wound up selling it. And now if I look online, it's like well north of 100 bucks now trying to get a copy of that again. Oh, and I remember man. thinking, oh, Panzer Dragoon Saga, I'm not spending 150 bucks on that. No way. That's too much money for a video game. And now it's like 1000 Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. like, ah, uh, picking myself on some of that. But I mean, I still get to play the games and that's what matters to me more. And I still do have a somewhat okay collection of stuff, but... Yeah, I hope I hope the whole industry kind of just loops back down and just stays in the middle at some point, because, you know, I, I really hope 
it doesn't happen what happened with baseball cards where like the value mm-hmm. started to hit the roof and then all of a sudden you wake up one day and all of the baseball card shops are shut down all the cards are worthless everybody's just gonna you're you know, right i hope that doesn't happen but i don't but unlike like you can't play a baseball card right you like, can. I'm, I'm not trying to be insulting there's gotta be there's gotta be one person in the comment like you piece of shit i love my baseball cards but like <laughs> you know like I, I think music that's the same reason music hasn't just plummeted in value over the years right like a song from the 60s that was made way before you and i were born where you know mm-hmm. it's still if you like it like you still would you know listen to it on spotify or buy it on itunes or something and i feel like video games are going to go the same way um, and who They're knows, maybe they'll to. just keep going up higher in price, but, you know, different ways to experience them will come down. But uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I hope there's legal ways to acquire these in the future, because I think all of these companies are very dumb not capitalizing on it. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. It's kind of crazy that um, just with the state of emulation being as good as it is with RetroArch and MedDefend being able to emulate multiple consoles on the same software so well that we don't have video game companies doing the same thing and trying to make a Spotify equivalent. But then again, there's all sorts of makes it that slightly different from music is there's a crap ton of licensing issues. So like yeah. if you wanted to have a Spotify for PlayStation games and uh, okay, let's get crash and Spyro in there, but wait, but if they uh, toys for Bob doesn't want us doing that because they don't want us capitalizing on their remake or oh, we'll bring in Tony Hawk. But every single song in the soundtrack has a separate licensing issue that we all have to deal with now. And right. And then that's that stuff makes it difficult, which is why I think the um, the grassroots homebrew, the emulation scene needs to needs to stay intact. It's totally necessary to keep all this stuff archived and playable for for anyone with a computer made past the year 2009. Yeah, so, whether people like it or not, dirty pirates are keeping the stuff alive, and what's keeping it really alive. are so. And you know, I, I've TV. always been very, very open and blunt about the fact that as as long as you don't sell this stuff, as long as you're not essentially stealing other people's intellectual property for your own gain, I'm behind you 100. Right. But the moment you're like, "Hey, you want all the ROMs on this SD card for 20 bucks? Fuck you! You're a thief and a piece no. of shit, and I don't yep. want anything to do with you." But you know, hey. uh Hey, Nick, you got, you know, a hard drive of games. I lost all mine. Sure. You know, I'll, I'll copy it for you. Take it. That's, that's different. Right. Not yeah. Profiting I'll copy that, that floppy, but I'm not going to like sell it to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's, so it's, you know, it's, people are welcome to disagree, but I just, uh, I, I certainly have a pretty strong stance on that. You know, anybody that profits from it's gross. Everybody else is just keeping it alive and not just keeping the ROMs archived, but just keeping the scene alive and keep spreading right. the talk. And there's always, as you know, there's always another kid that's coming around the corner that just discovers something that they like, that's special to them, that's cool, that, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you could say games today are better, but it's not the same, and that's what they want to play. So sometimes the only way you could do it is just by downloading it, firing up an emulator, and and seeing what you got. That's how I got into it back in the day. I mean, that's what got me into retro games. Uh, You know, a lot of hours spent on SNES 9X with the Windows XP computer in in the office of my house i grew up in <laughs> the oh, old yeah. family computer room so yeah no that's uh that's how i got into it to begin with and that's how a lot of people are going to continue to get into it it's so easy to do and uh that's the most accessible way by far to discover games and play them from that era so mm. of, of course you know nintendo's making some of that a little easier with unfortunately virtual console isn't what it used to be but um the nintendo online stuff is at least something and that's getting a lot of kids into that which is neat 
because um, that's very easy to download and play if you have the subscription. Um, of course, there's so many problems with Nintendo's current you know online system for playing NES, NES, and N64 games, but uh, it's it's better than doing nothing, I guess. <laughs> Agreed. So hopefully, more official means of playing these games come around. Spotify equivalents. Yeah. So, so um, if somebody's just getting into your channel, um, what do you think is the first video you would like them to watch of yours, just to kind of to sink in? And it's easy to say NBA Jam because it was such a good video, but it's also two <laughs> hours you. long, so it's like it's a long one. <laughs> you know, respectfully, uh, people who like to dip their toe in the water probably aren't going to throw two hours into it at first. They might need right. a slightly shorter video. So, what do you what do you suggest that people would start with? You know, I'd say the um, and uh, there were a couple of people who, outside of me recommending it, also agreed that Virtua Fighter Remix that video might be the best one to start with. Oh, okay. uh, it's only a half hour long. There's no interviews in it, but it does go in depth into the uh, Usenet Internet Archive stuff about how it could have feasibly come out when the Saturn had its surprise launch in North America, and how there are some you know half truths being told by Sega about what Virtua Fighter Remix was. That one might be good to start with. Genwar is also only about a half hour long, and that has an interview in it, and that also has some crazy Sega stories. Both of those might be good. And if you're down to spend an hour of your time getting into my uh, YouTube channel, the Virtua Racing Review would also be a great place to start, in my opinion. Um, yeah, those are the ones I'd recommend. That makes sense. Um, the The other thing that I would would strongly recommend is if you're a virtual racing fan checking out the vr virtual racing one it's an hour but it it answers all the questions you have about it because and you know respectfully if no one's ever played the saturn version of virtual racing you're like what are you talking about but everybody that has is like oh really because <laughs> it's weird it's absolutely weird and it sort of looks the bonkers same, but it sort of isn't uh and you, you nailed it I mean, you, you told a lot of stuff that i'd never heard of before uh you know plus you, you like i was saying before you told the facts that you know were kind of been floating out the correct way and presented it so it was really awesome i loved that one too just because i i like virtual racing a lot i played it a ton as a kid um and when i finally went back to discover the saturn version i was like what's this like this is a little this different. is different yeah yeah so. that was for ever since it came out there were always people in two different camps people who were like oh it's virtual racing on the saturn and has more tracks i love it and then there's the people who had spent a lot of time playing the arcade or the 32x versions of virtual racing picked up the saturn port and they're like this is not the same yeah this feels different something's off something's not right and um, for years, that, that was that was how it was. And uh, Chuck Tolman, the guy I interviewed, great guy, uh, he was able to answer all the questions, including uh, the fact that the full name of the game is Time Warner Interactive's Virtua Racing, Virtua Racing. <laughs> yeah, I laughed out loud when I heard that. I was like, oh, shit, that's, that makes sense. That's I what I think of it that for. way. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. Well, I mean, oh, I know. you know, your channel, obviously, I mean this with, with respect, but your channel is one of the things that frustrates me so much about YouTube because you have so many great videos on here and you're Thank criminally you. undersubbed. So please, everybody, consider just throwing a sub right now as you're listening so you don't forget. Just pause it. We'll wait and then come <laughs> back and then finish the rest of it. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things, too, where it's like, you know, I, I try to keep everything I, I'm part of positive, but 
Like, mm-hmm. life doesn't work like that. Sometimes you have to talk about the negative stuff. And it's like, I hear so many people be like, oh, you know, there's a whole bunch of gatekeeping elitists out there that only want to promote their friends and promote people with a million subscribers. And it's like, that couldn't be any farther from the truth. Maybe because you, you troll, your video sucks, and that's why nobody's promoting it. But <laughs> right, as soon right. as people started passing around your videos and, you know, amongst us in the community... Everybody was like, holy shit, did you see this? And not one person was like, well, how many subscribers do they have? Unless it was the context of why the hell isn't there more subscribers on this channel? But like, yeah, it was the opposite of what the trolls say. And it just, you know, we we all tried to spread the word as best we could, but it's it's word of mouth. It's one of those things where, you know, you got to tell your friends, you got to share, you got to. I don't know if clicking the thumbs up does a damn thing, but try it not just anymore. in case. Yeah, just in case. I'm not sure what what ticks the algorithm anymore. Uh, apparently, I gotta have a shocked face in my thumbnail now. I don't know, but like, uh, maybe if I put in all my thumbnails, I'll suddenly get 10 million subs. We'll you see. know what I considered doing, and I tried it once or twice, was making all multiple right. subtitles or multiple thumbnails. So I started out Ooh. with like the. Like clickbaity, like I think it was. Um, I think I did something stupid for the Retro Tank 5X launch. Like, is this a Retro Tank killer? Even though it was a Retro Tank, or like <laughs> something like that. And that was for the first couple of days, and and then it was like you know, brand new Retro Tank f- product, and you know it was something a little less clickbaity. And then Big the one impact font in your face, like yeah. And then the the yeah. one I left it up was just the one I always really wanted was Retro Tank 5X launch day deep dive, which is what the video actually was but like i had to get mm-hmm. it out there so you know i, I filtered through so may- maybe that's it right when you post it up you do something ridiculously clickbaity and then change it up as you go to so yeah just so like all your fans are like don't think that you've you've jumped into the dark side of things they just you know, <laughs> understand that hey you know let's get this rolling in the algorithm and then go back to being a real person <laughs> right yeah exactly that's funny that's funny yeah i haven't thought about trying anything like that i just kind of that might be part of why I don't have that many subs. I just kind of upload them in whatever format I've been doing it in and then just leave it, let it do its thing. And, you know, I, I have been getting gradually more views and more people like watching it over the years. Like before, you know, back when I uh, say the Gen War video was uh, was new at, at that time, it would take me about a week to get a thousand views on a single video versus now it takes me less than a day to get that, which is wonderful. Um, you know, very happy that more people are are watching and enjoying the content. Um, so, you know, there is gradual growth happening. It's just not at the uh, not at the pace that uh, one who would be trying to make money off of something like this would want to set, per se. But yeah, for me, it's just a hobby. And I'm just glad that a lot of people in the Saturn fan base are watching and appreciate it. So, mm. well, you heard him. It's up to us. Let's start spreading out some of these and talk about the ones you like. Don't forget to to always just tell people, you know, if you don't like all of them, that's fine. Talk about the ones you do like. So, <laughs> oh Hell yeah, oh, I appreciate it. So you said you got a degree in broadcast journalism. Do you think that yep. plays into how you lay out some of your documentaries and the interviews and stuff? Do you you know Do you think those the paths cross often when you're doing that? They do now. <laughs> uh, they certainly did it. They certainly didn't cross that much at the beginning, other than just a video and audio editing techniques that I, you know, picked up through broadcast. Um, but nowadays, there's there's some overlap in what I do. Um, like I think a great example 
kind of reversing the question and so to speak, which I did not intending to do. But when COVID hit, um, a lot of us in the news industry had to work from home or work from the office and not, you know, not leave the station, not go out and get video and and get interviews in person and stuff like that. Everybody had to do Zoom interviews. And it's like, well, I can't shoot B-roll. I'm supposed to get 30 shots to fill my story. How, what the hell am I supposed to do? Whereas me, I was sitting there, I'd been making YouTube videos for years with, you know, pretty much no video gathering other than maybe a shot of the console every now and then. So I'm just like, I'll just animate these screenshots and do this screen recording. And they're like, guys, how are you supposed to record these uh, video interviews? I'm like, have you ever heard of OBS, everybody? And they're like, <laughs> what does that stand for? And so oh, man. because of me, OBS is installed on every computer at the office. <laughs> So, and everybody uses that to screen record now. Um, and uh, that's, that's been going great. So, um, and I think, you know, the other way around the, uh, uh, the way I would do like a new story became um, slowly became how I would wind up doing these, these videos where starting with the information gathering, the reaching out to people, uh, finding these developers on their Facebook pages or Twitter or whatever, and sending them, uh, soliciting them with messages from a stranger about, hey, I'm this guy and I want to talk to you about this thing from 20 years ago. Um, the way I would find people's contact information, the way I talk to them and interview them, the types of questions that I ask, uh, what sound bites I'll wind up using, how I edit the video and present it, how I tell the story. That's all stuff that I picked up from broadcast and picked up from my, uh, from my full-time job. Hmm. Um, except the big difference between the two uh, is that... If I'm doing a broadcast story for a news show, that can be no more than two minutes long. <laughs> Whereas for the Saturn videos, I can go as long as I want, throw in as many dumb memes in as I want and, uh, you know, do whatever, as long as I'm not doing anything horribly offensive. And uh, yeah, it's it's a good hobby to have because I can do what I would normally want to do um but without any limitations of just, you know, the business being the way it's structured. So, mm. so that's kind of nice. And, um, and it's about stuff that I, a subject matter that I really, really enjoy. So, so yeah, it's a, it's been a good hobby and the, the, the two do go hand in hand quite often. Do you find that, um, you know, with the exception of like the happy, the ha I don't want to call them puff pieces because I don't mean that to sound mm. insulting, but I think you know oh, no, no, what it's I okay. mean by You're it. Fine. But like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the exception it's not insulting of those, at all. do you find that those the two minute format is just dying and really doing more damage than good? Because I never really understood the the need for long form until I started listening, but also started doing it myself. And that you know, so mm -hmm. often. A lot of the people I've spoken to have it's their first time on camera. It's their first time, uh, you know, talking in a format like this. And the first twenty minutes are basically, you know, like basic, easy getting to know you stuff, just to get them used to being in front of a camera. And then I'll mm -hmm. even sometimes go back and re-ask the same question in a little different way and get a completely different answer. And yeah. that, that person that you thought was a very cool person that seemed like you know cool. Glad Bob interviewed him. By the end of the interview, it's way deeper than that. It's like, oh, wow, you know, I really respect where they came from, how they were able to accomplish this. And there's no chance in hell that you could have ever gotten that out of two minutes or even 10 minutes, really. You know, it depends. Uh, it's kind of a yes and no uh, answer there. Um, like the format of a half hour newscast, you have, you know, less than 20 some minutes. You know, we're including commercial breaks, uh, less than 20 some minutes to 
uh, update the general public on everything that went on in their area that day, including weather and all the other stuff. So you have to cram in as many things into that 20-some span minute time as possible. And um, say there's, you know, 15 stories going on that day. You know, some of them might be two minutes long. Some of them might be a 30-second long thing that just the anchor reads over. Whereas if uh, with the way that the internet's going and with the way web content's going, that type of stuff allows you to go more in depth. So uh, say I do, you know, some crazy cool interview about some crazy cool story. I have the TV version of it. If I want a very in-depth, long version of that for the website, and that can be done now. Um, mm. It's, you know, assuming I have the time to like put it together and do it. Um, so some news stations and not all, but some have adapted well to where they can have these long form pieces that are, you know, for the web that they promote the hell out of on social media and stuff and promote the hell out of on their TV product. Um, uh, I know on occasion we'll do like, like we have a reporter who's been here for 30 years and he will do documentaries once or twice a year that are like feature length. Mm. And they'll be aired in parts throughout the newscasts, like part one, part two on the next day, et cetera. But, you know, the whole thing obviously goes on the website. And then sometimes they'll air the whole thing during a separate time slot on the channel. Um, So it it kind of varies, you know, for the newscast format, you know, having really short two minute stories is necessary to cram as much as you can into a short amount of time. But um, that does sacrifice the ability to go in depth and the ability to really get to know whatever it is that you're you're covering. And um, that's where the Internet comes in. (laughs) So that's pretty cool. I, I hope um, I hope uh, your team and the other teams out there are embracing the right formats too. Because if it's like I do too, <laughs> yeah, go go to you know newscast one two three dot com and only watch it in the embedded window that you can't make full screen is not anything anybody's <laughs> going to do. But right. if you end up doing that two minute segment and you treat it as if it's a, just a promotion, like hey, look at this awesome thing that we have on our YouTube channel, mm-hmm. and oh by the way, YouTube is just like cable TV. You're going to get a lot of trash, and you're going to get a lot of things that are excellent on there. And just like cable yeah. TV, you old person who grew up with the box with the clicker on it and stuff, like you have to make, take it upon yourself to find which is which. Like I think that's that's probably awesome, and I think most people would have no problem firing up the YouTube app, going to their subscriptions, and then just. Mm-hmm just watching the full thing. So, so hopefully your team is embracing all those things in the right way. Cause it is very easy to get sucked into, Oh, well we have a big Facebook po- following. So we're going to do Facebook video. And it's like, can you even watch that on a real TV anymore? Right. This, you know? Yeah. It, that only gets you so far. You really got to embrace uh, several mediums. It's a constantly evolving industry and it's mm. very hard to keep track of. <laughs> yeah. That's well, the that's big challenge. Sure. So um, yeah, I mean, uh, how we take advantage of that, a lot of that is above my pay grade, though I am allowed to, you know, bring suggestions and ideas, of course. But uh, every, it seems like every, like, local news organization is adapting to that stuff differently um, in one way or another. So, yeah, uh, some do it well, some don't. I, I think that where I'm working, I think we're doing it pretty well. Um, there are that. ways that it could be improved, but we're certainly not doing it poorly, <laughs> which yeah. is great. So, I, uh, I've... I've always been that loud mouth blowhard that whether I was at a big company or a little company, I always <laughs> want to make sure my ideas got heard. And uh, oh, yeah. luckily I've been worked. I've, I've always worked with a bunch of very patient people that took me seriously. The, the, very, the very first job when I got corporate IT job when I was 19, I think the boss was a little pissed. I'm like, I am 60 something years old. I've been doing it for far longer than you've been born. Probably longer than your mom's been born. Know it all. Yeah. yeah. What do you, <laughs> but he'd still listen. 
He just would make it very clear that I'm the kid and I should shut the fuck up and make sure that I know that he's the adult in the room, but he'd, he'd still listen. So it's, uh, you know, I've always been very lucky about that. And uh, it was only a few times where I was told that, you know, my opinion didn't matter, but I, um, those weren't, those weren't long-term gigs anyway. So I was just like, all right, that's how it's going to be here. No problem. I see what it's like. I'm going to put myself in cruise control, do something else during the day while I, you know, while I look for another job. So exactly exactly so what's next on the horizon for you do you have videos that you want to tease that might be coming out because uh you know based on the schedule that i have this might not actually come out for a couple weeks so maybe the video that comes out uh, is going to be released right. before this or something so you know um i'm working on a virtua cop video now that is the next game nice. in the series nice Yep. So that'll be fun. Um, I've been uh, working with a good friend who is translating a lot of Japanese source material that is allowing us to discover a lot of like really cool stuff that the Western side of the Saturn world didn't really know about Virtua Cop. So that's been going really well. Uh, That video will also probably be way too long and it's taking me way too long to make. But um, you can expect that shortly after whenever this interview goes online. I don't know when, I don't have a set date for it, but once it's done, it'll be done. And then the next couple of videos after that, which I am working on kind of in the background, is uh, the one after Virtua Cop will be a video about quarterback attack with Mike Ditka, a digital pictures FMV football game. <laughs> which is terrible, right? If I remember that correctly, it was just so bad it's it's ridiculous it is bad yeah i i think that the gameplay method they put into it kind of works in a weird messed up way uh it's definitely not amazing (laughs) it's not an amazing game it's far from it but you know for what it is you know recognizing that they did try to make a full motion video sports game is kind of fun to just watch and see and experience um yeah, definitely not a, you know, not a game that you you should have on any top 10 list <laughs> by any stretch. Yeah. But it's ridiculous. It's that'll be a fun one to edit. And then the one after that that I'm working on in the background will be the video about Sega Rally Championship. So that should also be great. Nice. So, yeah, those FMV games, man. When those came out in the early 90s, it was just mind blowing to think that real people would be on your video game console. sometimes they pulled it off sometimes they didn't sometimes they probably if they had a slightly bigger budget like um was that uh tomcat alley like that with the cutscenes and everything that could have been pretty cool but Mm -hmm. they they uh, you know most of those were just absolutely awful and i'm so glad i don't i wish it didn't die out completely i just wish people really embraced what you could do with it. And I think, you know, I just did another thunder in paradise live stream and all kidding aside, I think that's the best FMV I've ever played other than that one really awful part in the beginning. But like that, (laughs) that really is, is just a cool way to approach it. And there were a couple other games over the years that had really great cutscenes that, you know, added Mm -hmm. to it having real actors in there, but man, most of all, those are just terrible. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, the one that I, I, I think that digital pictures, they, they, they get a lot of flack. I think that they, they hit the iron hot with Sewer Shark and definitely with Night Trap. Um, and then everything after that was kind of not great. Um, <laughs> but uh, they, they had that basketball game with Scotty Pippen, which was another sports FMV game. That one's not good. Yeah. Uh, they had Corpse Killer, which was like 
that's an, a very entertaining game to play, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah, and, you have the uh, documentary up on that one too, right? That's uh, yeah, hour yeah, 19 yeah, I have or that something. One. I actually somehow I, missed that one, so uh, I got to go back and rewatch that because, or not rewatch it, watch right it because I never, uh, I never realized that. So, uh, I'm, oh, I'm, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, so, I'm yeah. interested in seeing that because that's a game that I just remember seeing that. And I never played as a kid that I was like, this is going to be so cool. And I don't, I don't have high hopes at all. <laughs> I was, I was very happy with how that particular video turned out. I was, um, I, I downloaded the HD re-release on steam. Mm. Um, and that had more than an hour of behind the scenes interviews and video, which for me is like gold. I was like, yes. <laughs> and so I screen recorded all of it. I spent a large amount of time trying to unlock and screen record all these bonus videos and wound up using them. And then I also did get an interview with the uh, with Bridget Butler, the woman who plays the part of the uh, female lead character in Corpse Killer. And that was great. Uh, she hasn't aged a day. She doesn't look any different than she did in 1994. It's ridiculous. That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. And um so she was a joy to talk to had a lot of fun stories um i'm hoping that i can find the same amount of bonus videos for this quarterback attack video so we'll see how that goes the digital pictures game that i you know really wish happened uh i don't know if you heard of maximum surge um, i've heard it but i, I don't really know yeah. the details on it it got canceled because digital pictures basically went bankrupt right when they were they finished filming it all the video for it exists uh, they just have to tie it together in programming and everybody who's talked about it who's played the demo for it who you know uh, was involved with it said that this one was supposed to be actually good kind of like a crazy future like deep apocalyptic future cyberpunk looking crazy mm. thing and uh um it, it, i having seen some clips and some demos for it it's like it's probably not going to be like a 10 out of 10 game but you know it looks entertaining and kind of fun so that that's one that I do hope eventually gets revived at some point because the video for it does exist somewhere. Someone owns the rights to it. Someone has it. So. Hmm. You know, I, I always hope stuff like that swings back around and I hope it's done in an indie way where they don't have to drop a right. million bucks, which means if they don't make a million bucks, it's still a total not I wouldn't say success, but worth the time that they had spent on it, I guess is the better way to exactly. say that. Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah, I believe it's whatever it's whatever company that did the Corpse Killer Night Trap re-releases on that you see on Steam. They they definitely have the maximum surge footage, so it's just a matter of if and when they make the damn thing. Mm. So, yep. Now, if I'm remembering correctly, go, going back to Corpse Killer, was that the one that worked with the the gun on the 32X and the Genesis or the Sega CD, but not Saturn? Yes, yes. That it, it, the the light gun worked on the 3DO 32X Sega CD, but it did not work on the Saturn, which is just dumb. You have to use the D-pad and drag the cursor around the screen. <laughs> is there uh, so, a mouse option, or at least a hack for it that allows you to use the mouse? No, no. I tried it. I have a mouse. It would be. Yeah, I, I have a mouse, and I did try that out, and it, it does not work. Uh, it's not supported. Well, I mean, we have so many amazing contributors to the Saturn community that maybe in next year's uh, next year's competition, somebody will add mouse support to <laughs> some of these ridiculous games like Double Switch and Corpse Killer. I, oh, yeah. I honestly have no idea how much work that is. It could be as simple as adding code support in, or it could be rewriting the whole darn game. Which obviously don't don't waste your time on Double Switch for that. <laughs> but... Right. 
Oh, it, it, it's always fun that at that type of this type of stuff, it's either very easy to do and very feasible or a giant pain in the dick to get done with how these <laughs> yeah. games are programmed. And it's always a surprise. <laughs> um, speaking of the Saturn homebrew competition, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because uh, I know you oh, yeah. just did your video where you uh, spent an hour and a half demoing every single entry into the competition, right? That one, uh, yeah, this contest blew me away. I judged last year's. That was fun. I made a like a less than 30-minute video about that, demoing all the games. Uh, this year, the host, Dr. Emerald Nova, I remembered him saying that, um, at, you know, last September when the contest season started, that he's not expecting as many games this year because a lot of the homebrew devs that he talks to and works with are behind on their projects. So he mm. was suspecting that there just, you know, wouldn't be as many, which I thought, you know, that's fine. It's whatever. I'm still excited for it. Last year, there were 21 total entries. This year, there were 32. So uh, definitely didn't matter who was behind on what. There was still a giant amount of original games and patches and translations and really fun tools to try out and mess around with. And it was, yeah, it was a, the Saturn homebrew and patching scene is in a very good, good spot right now. Um, and it's kind of sparked over the last three years. Like you go back three, four years ago, it really wasn't this big. There was, you know, I think we, we at that time, they, there was a Police Knots translation and Shining Force translations from Night of Dragon. But um, since then, there's been like, uh, well over a dozen games that either now have a complete and playable English patch or have one that's being worked on but is still very playable right now. Um, like Grandia, for example, that one's technically not like done-done because there's still a couple of typos that need to be fixed, but anyone could go patch Grandia and play it on Saturn and really enjoy the hell out of the whole thing. Like, pretty much done. Um, Night of Dragon, translating Symphony of the Night, which everybody thought was like no one would do because you can play it in English and other consoles, so it just seems unnecessary, but he went and did it anyway. And it's like, hell yeah, that's great. Mm. Um, same thing with Lunar. You can play Lunar on another console in English, but it's like, no, we want to play the Saturn version, and so someone got it done. You can play that now. <laughs> that's so um, incredible to me. And, you know, shout out yeah. to you and the crew at Sega Saturn Shiro and everybody else in the community that keeps circulating uh, the stuff and, and being the middle ground for people to get together because it's it, you know you got to spread the word otherwise people won't know that the stuff exists and won't realize that they they can have a hobby translating and, and working on these games so just it's such a positive thing altogether like it's just a bunch of awesome nerds getting together to do the craziest <laughs> shit i love it so much <laughs> oh i know it's great it's great and we're happy to spread the word about it you know uh, it, it was evidence that we had spread the word of Hey, sorry, you got cut off. I don't know if Discord blooped out, but you were talking about spreading sorry. the word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's always good to spread the word about this stuff, um, especially if the right people find out about it. And the right person found out about it a year ago, Greg Moore, known online as Lacquerware, reaching out to us and said, hey, is there any interest in translating Bulk Slash? And uh, we got him connected to the right people. And then sure enough, Less than a year later, it was an incredible timeline for that project. Less than a year later, they had the whole, all the text translated. They had voice actresses and voice actors to revoice and redub hundreds of navigator lines and cutscenes and guys to uh, go in and recut the audio for each FMV scene down to like having to recreate the music because the voice and music were not in different layers. They just had to redo all of it. And now we have a patched 
English dub of Bulk Slash, and it actually sounds decent. They had good voice actors in it, so it's it's crazy. Um, that that was a, a proof that spreading the word definitely helps and uh, works. Because uh, I, I think that without the the Shiro um, videos that Greg saw uh, about the translation scene and the posts and stuff, he probably wouldn't have thought to reach out and try doing something like that. Um, so yeah, no, if, if the right people hear about it, cool stuff happens. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Where are we at today with the, the Saturn competition? Cause I had kind of a, a nutty weekend, so I wasn't even able to follow oh, the live fine. stream or anything like that. Right, right. Um, the Saturn competition is uh, basically just ended. So, um, the judging is done. There are winners now. And, um, Pat over at Shiro had a six hour live stream where he played all the games with most of the developers of the patches and games in voice chat to talk with them about it while playing them. And he did that last year too. Would recommend scrolling through that and checking that out or sitting through it if you have the time. Um, That's always great because you get to hear from the people that make the games, like what ridiculous coding bull crap they had to do just to get this line of text into this box. Right. It's always crazy. It's, it's never easy. (laughs) Yeah. I love those. That's the type of thing that I like, as I'm working around the house and stuff like that, or, you know, the, doing the crazy testing stuff, I like to have that playing yeah. in the background. And so often I'll just run over and be like, wait a minute, what was that again? And like, you know, I'll rewind and I'll watch that part. <laughs> yeah, and be like, yeah. ah, I got work to do. Let me keep going to listen in the background. So yeah, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if people are into that homebrew uh, scene, I would definitely recommend at least trading it like that and having it play through. Um, so were the winners all officially announced yet? Yep. Yep. The winner for the original category is uh, blue skies. And um, I, I do have the spreadsheet with the winners somewhere. Let me just go pull it up for a second. Blue Skies was kind of like a, a pilot wings looking uh, Saturn game where you have a sprite based red biplane flying around this gorgeous 3D archipelago. It's this massive like polygon um, set of islands on a wonderful blue sea uh, re- rendering out into the horizon with the help of uh, VDP2. Um, that's and, awesome. Uh, I, I that, remember talking to Dave yeah. about that when I did the live stream with him on Friday night, I think. So it's uh I was so excited to to dig in and really see all of these, but between the live stream and your video, like uh now I could experience it that way and then just go back and pick oh, yeah. my favorites to download. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um and let's see, yeah, CubeCat got second place. That um is very much worth people checking out. That is a like more than commercial quality 3D platformer on the Saturn made by a person who goes by the name Seven Shades. A lot of really good draw distance and uh, really wonderfully colored environments and very well textured stuff. Everything looks great. The the polygons are pumping great on CubeCat. And it's just the the aesthetic and vibes of it. It's very cute. The music has little meows in it that match the theme of the the game. It's just, it's great. And uh, third place went to uh, Sky Blaster from Super Ray, Super Ragi. I don't know how to say this person's name. But that was a, a little shmup where there were like little 3D, um, like a 3D glider with some 3D enemies that shoot at you over a 2D background with hand-drawn clouds and stuff going by. It was really, really, really chill looking. Hell slave and forth. Um, everybody who has um, looked into Saturn Homebrew has probably heard of Hellslave. A very, very good looking, like Quake clone is the best mm. way to describe it. Um, and very good lighting effects, draw distance, and 3D rendering. He was able to get the shotgun to have like actual reflection textures on it, which on the Saturn was like unheard of. Mm. Uh, he, he, XL2 is doing really crazy stuff. 
Uh, Bulk Slash won the patches category by a mile. Every judge placed that first um, because it was just incredible. 30 people worked on it and did a lot of work to redub and redo everything. Uh, Death Mask got second, and that is um, uh, the PC game. uh, I think it's called... uh, uh, um, Hang on a second. Getting the name. It has a different name in the Western world. Um, one second, please hold. Yeah, okay. So the PC game Angel Devoid, Face of the Enemy, an FMV cyberpunk game from the mid-90s. Um, that was ported to Saturn, but only in Japanese. So this team of people are taking the English cutscenes and converting them to uh, Saturn-friendly formats and then injecting them into the Japanese game Death Mask. So that way they're just detranslating it, so to speak. Mm. And that, that was very fun and playable. And then Vak and Rotor got third place in Hacks Patches translations. Um, long-awaited uh, English patch. It's not done yet. All the text is injected, but it needs to get cleaned up, and the text box and boxes and formatting needs to get cleaned up. But um, all the text is there, and it's very playable. So, but yeah. Yeah, a lot of good stuff all around. There's a ton of other games I haven't brought up, but it's very much worth looking into um, if you have the time. Yeah, I'll definitely drop a link to that video in in this description too, just so people have easy access to it. They should be subscribed to you now by the end of this, <laughs> by the end of this interview. But <laughs> just yeah. in case, I'll throw it in just to make it easier for everybody. But yeah, I just I'm so thankful to anybody who does any of these things because even oh, the same. stuff like the um like the what was it the blanket rendering or something I forgot exactly what that was cloth demo cloth yes. demo like. <laughs> That by itself is super neat, and and people who understand what it is uh, would appreciate it. But um, people in the programming world and people who you know in the Saturn scene could see that and understand what that might lead to for other cool things in homebrew. So mm-hmm. uh, I love that everybody is highlighted in this, and that you know even though it's not something that somebody's going to download and spend two hours playing, it's something that might lead <laughs> to something incredible next time. So I just uh, I, right. I have so much appreciation for the people that do all this awesome stuff and what i love about the contest is it's a great opportunity to get together and celebrate what's going on in the saturn homebrew community all these projects come together in one convergence Mm. and uh yes there are prizes yes there are people who win or lose or whatever but the whole point of it is to uh, spread the word about every single entry that's there it's all uh it's a very good event for exposure for the entire scene as a whole I think that every project, even if they're, you know, first or last place in whatever category, all of them, like, you know, getting anything to run on the Saturn is uh, a task. And uh, every single person that worked on these projects deserves uh, a lot of uh, a lot of good kudos and credit uh, for getting this stuff up and running. There's a lot of really, really good stuff going on and uh, a lot of really cool projects. So, yeah, you can you can date mall Santas on your Sega Saturn and <laughs> that one cracks me up, too. And uh, all sorts of stuff. It's great. So a lot of good projects going on. Good time of year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I guess uh, we'll end on some cheesy ones. Uh, how, how did sure. you come up with the name Pandemonium, other than the fact that it's kind of neat? <laughs> <laughs> uh, pandas are my favorite animal. Uh, have been for a long time. They are uh, they're lazy. They're adorable. All they do is sit around, eat, and uh, roll in around hills. It's great. They're uh, they're an animal to uh, to aspire to become. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I I just you know I just I just like pandas. So I, I wanted to think of a screen name that incorporated that um, and thought of the pun, and that was it. So That's yeah, an awesome enough answer for me. So, <laughs> um, what do you think? If you if you can't say this, I totally understand. But what do you sure. think? Like the 
the funniest like thing that has happened uh, in your day job you know because they're everybody's seen like <laughs> the, the the scary news tease you know stay stay tuned to find out how your kid might die by noon today could or, your like, toothpaste kill you or... right or like i love the guy who like, gets the bug caught in his mouth as he's doing the interview and he loses his shit yeah, like, you yeah, know. yeah are you allowed to say anything funny like that that's happened to you or, or around you I, that... I am yes okay yes absolutely i got i got a couple of good ones uh there is a, a fun off-camera moment where we were at the Fargo Dome, which is the funnily named stadium in our town <clears throat> where they have sporting events and concerts. They're putting in some security system or whatever, and we wanted to chat with people about it. And so I, um, we get what we call MOS, man on the street interviews, where it's just like strangers walking in. We say, hey, we're doing a story about this. Do you want to chat with us about, you know, what's your hot take on it? And they're like, oh, cool. Yeah. Or they're like, oh, no, get away. Go away. You know, I don't want to talk to you, but. So anyway, um, we were there, and there was this um, there was this uh, older woman who was, um, uh, you know, coming out of an event or something like that, and uh, she agreed to interview with us, and she was very friendly. Um, <laughs> she was very kind, and uh, I my the the photojournalist I was working uh, with picked up on this right away, and I did not. Uh, I'm a, I, I I can be an oblivious person at times. We do the interview, and she said some really weird off color comment. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And then she kind of giggled and she was like, eh, I think it's just the cougar in me. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> she said it on camera. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, we got to go. Um, my my friend saved the video, but we're not sure where he kept it. So I don't think that footage survives today. But <laughs> that's, that's it got passed thing. around a fair number of times. Um <laughs> Oh yeah, so that was fun. Um, and uh, another good one. Uh, it what not as creepy or or bad. This was actually kind of fun. Uh, one of the best stories I've done was uh, about this woman who, for her 80th birthday, uh, wanted to skydive for the first time. This sweet little Midwestern classic upper Midwest grandma personality, who just working at like city hall or whatever. She's basically retired. This is like her part time job, and she she uh, I was coming out of a, a story where uh, Senator Tina Smith was in town talking about something. And this old woman at the desk was like, Hey, Hey, you're newsman. Come over here. I got a story for you. She told me what she was going to do and what day. And I was like, Oh, sweet. Yeah. Give me a call. We'll, we'll definitely do that. That sounds like it'll be a great story. So uh, we go to the skydive place out West of town and uh, she's, she's, she's getting geared up. She's a total character and she's, she's putting on the goggles and she's like, this won't mess up my hair. Will it And <laughs> <laughs> doing all these drills? And um, the way it worked out is I didn't get to go up in the plane with her. Uh, I had my camera on the ground and the skydive people had uh, had plenty of GoPros and other equipment that they bring up with them. And they agreed to give me all the video. And um, they uh, so they they do the jump with her. And she's like she's like face rippling in the wind, just like having a great time. She comes down and lands and uh, she's like, that was great. Let's do it again. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I asked her, um, you know, it was her birthday, but she was the only one there. And I was like, uh, your family's not here. And uh, I was like, where are they? And she said, oh, I wanted to surprise them by letting them see this on the news. I'm telling them to watch tonight. <laughs> oh, that's even better. Oh, man. Yep. Her family's going to lose their minds. 
Oh, they did. Uh, <laughs> she, I found her a few months later and asked her how it went. And they, they, she said they were all just floored by it. It was great. So that's so yeah. cool. What an awesome story. That's a, yeah, that's so cool. I, I, I've been skydiving. I love it. So, you know, in actuality, it's not, you know, it's not as dangerous as you would think for an older person right. to do it, but it's still one of those cool hurdles to get over. Have you ever gone? You it is. Out? Not yet. It's something I've wanted to do, but haven't yet. So, um, but uh, at some point, I, I would I would like to <laughs> I would like to try it out someday just because yeah. it seems fun. The the two but. things that really surprised me is even though like you know exactly what's happening, your whole body still does that. Like as soon as you jump out, like you know, like you're about to fall over and hit the ground, and then like you kind of right. come to and you're like, that's not going to happen for a while. <laughs> so, but you still have that immediate <laughs> flinch moment. And um, the only other tip that the the instructor gave me was when you jump out of the plane keep and hold eye contact with the plane until he taps and tells you to like turn around and put your arms out and then go right to the horizon. And if he didn't tell me that I would have gotten dizzy and it would not have been a fun experience. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. I would have puked, but I just, I would have been very disoriented. Whereas his tip of like eye contact with the plane and your whole body's kind of going and you know, like, you think you're going to, you know, you feel like you're falling cause you're falling. And then, then you go right to the horizon. You, I get zero dizziness. I get zero disorientation and that nice. was just um, amazing. All my friends made fun of me when they saw the video because they're like, scream or something. You look like you're at the freaking library. I'm like, but I used to race motorcycles, which go faster than you could fall. So <laughs> it was actually a really beautiful and amazing and wonderful experience. But yeah, it's a, but that those two tips I thought were so cool that I, uh, and very important. So I like to share those with people when, uh, you know, when they go. So like, don't, don't worry. You get You're going to have that weird pit in your stomach feeling, but do the, the eye contact plane horizon thing. And it, it probably mm-hmm. goes away right away. So. Nice. Nice. I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep that in mind for sure. Eye contact with the horizon. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, once, you know, once you go from plane to horizon and then you steady yourself yeah. three seconds later, then, then you're looking around and having fun. But just yeah. if you were going out of the plane, like looking everywhere around, like you'd very easy to get uh, disoriented. And the only other thing that I thought was funny was as after the shoot comes up, it's silent and peaceful and beautiful. And uh, the guy's like, you can take your goggles off now. It's like, Oh, do I have to? Cause remember <laughs> motorcycles, right? Like you always want to have some yeah. kind of eye protection. And he's like, yeah. uh, you don't have to, but, just try it and i pulled it down and i was like oh there's no wind at all and he's like yeah i know yeah, it's, it's like okay that's embarrassing but yeah it was just once the shoot opens there is like kind of a, a jerking motion so but like it was just peaceful and beautiful and we did it out in um, the desert of las vegas so i didn't get that weird like uh, i imagine if a tree line was coming up on me i might have been a little bit more nervous but it was nothing the, the landing was like it felt like stepping downstairs just walking downstairs like the instructor was was amazing and, and everything was perfect but i highly recommend it for anybody that would even mildly enjoy something like that it's a it's an experience yeah. i would go all the time if it wasn't so expensive so <laughs> Right on. No, I'll keep that in mind for sure. It's definitely something I've always wanted to try out. It looks like a ton of fun, provided you're not uh, recreating a King of the Hill episode. I never saw that one. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Uh, there is an episode where Peggy Hill goes skydiving, but neither of her shoots work, and so she just... Oh, oh that sucks. <laughs> yep. 
a good thing to follow up this discussion with getting people into, into skydiving <laughs> yeah but that's just a cartoon so yeah what the hell maybe we'll uh you know one of these days when the world opens up a little more we'll do a meetup and we'll just do a skydiving meetup and get everybody together oh, oh yeah we'll throw dave and pat out of an airplane too just for the hell of it let's do it get all us <laughs> nerds together and just just throw them on out <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Well, I'll I get the legs, you get the arms. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't think of a possible or better way to possibly end this than, than threatening to throw Dave and Pat out of an airplane with a suit <laughs> on. So, uh, uh, thank you very We're much. Coming for you. <laughs> thank you very much for taking the time to do this, uh, and especially thank you for taking the time to do the the documentaries that you do, and even just the individual reviews of the games. I think are really great as well. Um, but it's just one of those things where your documentaries definitely stand out. And uh, it's something that I think a lot of people appreciate. And hopefully a lot more people will appreciate after after getting to know you. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. I, I'm happy to happy to be on the show. I'm glad you reached out. It's good to be here, Bob. So, yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, we'll talk to you soon. And, uh, you know, please keep making those videos. Will do. They might be uh, uh, slow to come out, but I will continue to make them. I'm always going to need a hobby. So awesome